I'd like to invite you to stand with me for the reading in honor of God's Word. And let's turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 10, verses 34 through the end of the chapter. And Pastor Bruce is continuing his Let Them Hear series from the book of Acts. Today's sermon, When God Opens the Door, Open Your Mouth. Acts chapter 10, verses 34 through 48. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, that word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all, these, of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people, and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that, through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word, and those of the circumcision who believed and were astonished as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. God, we thank you that you allowed the gospel to be shared uh, to the Gentiles. We thank you that we are we, uh, that the gospel has been made available to us. And Father, we thank you that uh, through your grace and through your mercy and through your Son, um, we can know you in a personal way, that you uh, forgive us of our sins when we reach out to you in faith, and that you provide us hope and an in, 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 in eternity in heaven. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, this last week I, I found a uh, rather interesting article online. I'm sure you know you can find a lot of interesting stuff online. Uh, some which you can kind of rely on, stuff you can't rely on, but nonetheless, here's an article I found entitled, 30 Things You Should Know About Kansas City Before You Move There. Now, I know for most of you it's a little too late because you already live here in Kansas City, but regardless, I thought I would share this. I'm not going to share all 30 for time's sake, but I'll share 10 of these things that 
you should know about Kansas City before moving to Kansas City, such as number one, Kansas City is not actually in Kansas, except when it is. Kansas City is actually two cities in one. Kansas City, Missouri is on the east side, and Kansas City, Kansas is on the west side. Aren't you thankful that you know that? Number two, Kansas City is the heart of the heartland. While the geographic center of the lower 48 lies in Lebanon, Kansas, Kansas City, get this, is the nation's most centrally located big city in America. You're like, wow, I learned something new. Yeah, cool. All right, number three, Kansas City is where jazz grew up. New Orleans may be the birthplace of jazz, but Kansas City put its own special spin on things when jazz headed north to Kansas City. Number four, one of my favorites, Kansas City is barbecue heaven. Yes, Texas, the Carolinas, and Memphis may each claim that their barbecue is best, but Kansas City begs to differ. We have the best barbecue. Number five, Kansas City is the city of fountains. Look at that. You guys are awesome. In fact, the city, our city here at Kansas City, is home to, they estimate, 200 fountains and claims that only Rome has more. Number six, Kansas City is first in shopping. The Country Club Plaza, which opened in 1923, was the world's first drive-in shopping center. Wow, you learned something. Number seven, Kansas City is nutty for donuts. Kansas City is home of Lamar's Donuts, which has been ranked as tops in taste tests by known donut experts across our nation. Yeah. Number eight. This is one you probably do not realize. Kansas City is artsy-fartsy. The Crossroads Arts District at 19th Street and Baltimore Avenue is the place to be on the first Friday of every month. Did you guys know that? All right, all right. Number nine, Kansas City is hipper than you think. All right, for you hipsters out there, Kansas City was ranked number 10 on Travel and Leisure's list of America's best cities for hipsters. Pretty cool. And of course, number 10, Kansas City is home to our world champion, Kansas City. I knew, I knew I'd get a response on that one. Yes, the Royals who play at the K have won now two World Series in 1985 and now just a month ago, two weeks ago, here in 2015. Now I know you're like, why, why, is, why is he sharing all this with me? What point does he have? And I know these are some fun and, and interesting facts about Kansas City, but let's be honest, knowing these facts really makes a little difference before moving here to Kansas City. I doubt that weighs on anybody's mind whether they're going to move to Kansas City, whether they know these facts. But when it comes to salvation, what you know about the gospel of Jesus Christ, let me tell you, it makes a huge difference. It is a matter of eternal life and death. So the question is, how will you know? How will people know? Well, if we go to our theme verse, which is in 
in one of them here, Romans 10, 17, and it's on, on these banners back behind me. It says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. People must hear about Jesus Christ before they can believe in Jesus Christ. And that's why God calls us to let them hear the good news about Jesus Christ. Here in the book of Acts, and specifically here in Acts 10, God is opening the door of salvation to the Gentiles, which includes, as we learned last week, all peoples of the world. God's purpose is to save all peoples of all tongues, of all nations, of all tribes. And to accomplish this purpose here in Acts 10, God had to prepare a Gentile named Cornelius to hear the gospel. And God also had to prepare Peter, a Jew, to bring him the gospel. After a bizarre vision, after traveling from Joppa to Caesarea, Peter now finds himself in the house of Cornelius with a room full of people now waiting to hear what God had to say or what Peter had to say about Jesus Christ. Now, talk about an open door for sharing the gospel. Let me tell you, the door doesn't swing more wide open than this for sharing the gospel. And so what would Peter do? I love what Luke writes here in verse 34. As Peter is now in this house, they're waiting before him, and they can't wait to hear. They have been gathered together. Cornelius has gathered his friends, his families, his whole household, and Cornelius has already told him, Peter, I brought you here so that you could share with us, so that we could hear what you have to say. And what would Peter do? Look what Luke writes. It says, then Peter, what did he do? Opened his mouth and said. And what followed out of Peter's mouth was a simple declaration of the gospel to a group of people God was ready to save by His grace. And so, what we come to, if I, I, I just want to give it to us up front here at the beginning of the message, kind of the takeaway from this message here this morning. It's the big lesson here at the end of Acts 10. And notice it in your notes coming up on the screen that we can immediately put into practice. When God opens the door, open your mouth. Listen, that's the lesson today. When God opens the door, open your mouth and let them hear the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. No doubt what God was doing here in Acts 10, it was a special occasion. In many ways, it was a unique occasion. Even an unrepeatable occasion in some ways, what happens here. But it was not a singular occasion. And what I mean by that is that God still opens doors for the gospel to be heard by people who need to hear it. The question is, will we open our mouths and let them hear? God is still opening doors for the gospel. And he's calling us to open our mouths to let them hear the gospel. Let me just give you a case in point of, of an illustration of, of that God is opening. God is always opening doors for the gospel to be shared and for people to hear it. 
A simple illustration of this yesterday, uh, Jack, we were celebrating Jack's birthday Friday night, so he had three of his school buddies home uh, to spend the night, and we had a party, and, and a couple of these guys stayed over all day long yesterday, and uh, we had it just fun. They were out, you know, what boys do, 14-year-old boys do, and playing basketball and whatnot, and, and, uh, and, so, and actually one of the kids that came over, his parents, his dad is actually on staff at a church here in Kansas City, and they go to school together, and then another uh, boy was uh, with us. And so he, you know, during the party before we had, you know, we ate pizza, we prayed. Uh, he's kind of finding out what I do for a living. Jack goes to church. I'm a pastor. This other kid is dad, you know, on staff at a church. And so he's the only one left. And this is towards the late afternoon time. And, and he and Jack and my wife are down in the basement. And this, I, I find out this later. And he asked Jack and Darla, so, so uh, you, you guys go to church a lot? Yeah. Well, well, what do you believe? My wife was like, Darla was just like, what an open door to share the gospel. And you know what my wife did? She shared with him, Cade, here's what we believe. Here's what we believe about Jesus Christ. It wasn't some long exposition of the gospel, but it was short and, and simple to where it was enough Kate, here's what we believe about the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the heart of it. And then she, she gave him a track, uh, one of those uh, storybooks that we have on the back table, the info table. And, uh, and why? God opened the door wide open. What do you believe? Let me share with you what we believe. This is what we believe about Jesus Christ. Listen, what Peter shared on that day in Acts 10, we still have opportunity to do in this day in our lives. And so when God opens the door, listen, open your mouth and let them hear the good news of salvation that's found in Jesus Christ. Now, Peter begins to share the salvation, the good news, the gospel. And out of this, we're reminded of three truths about salvation from what he shared with Cornelius and his household. And notice this first truth here about salvation. Number one, salvation is available for all peoples in the world. We, we saw this last week already. Peter is reminding us of this same truth again today. In fact, he begins his sermon with a personal statement about what God had taught him through his vision in the events of the past four days. Peter says in Acts 10, 34 and 35, look at it with me one more time. He says, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. And so Peter had come to realize that no nationality, whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile, was beyond the saving grace of God. Peter, in, this, in some ways, he was leveling the playing field with his G Gentile audience. He's pointing out to Cornelius and his household that their status as Gentiles was no barrier to God's salvation that is offered to them through Jesus Christ. Salvation is for all peoples in the world. God shows no partiality. Salvation is available to everyone regardless of ethnic identity. 
God shows no partiality, which is precisely why He saved people like us. And so when it comes to sin, when it comes to salvation, there is no difference, the Apostle Paul writes. There's no distinction. There's no difference between Jews and Gentiles. Why? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And all need the same Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul declares in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the Gospel, but it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, and then to the Gentile. And this is why Peter states what he does in verse 35. But in every nation, everywhere, or whoever fears God and works righteousness is accepted by Him. But what does that mean exactly? Does this mean anyone is acceptable to God in the sense that as long as they fear God, as long as they do what is right, they will be saved? No, this doesn't mean that everyone is accepted as righteous in the sight of God. But it does mean that from every nation, anyone who comes to God will not be turned away. This is not a claim that all religions lead to God, but another way of affirming God's impartiality in salvation. Remember, salvation is for all peoples. This doesn't mean that Cornelius was already saved before he met Peter. But it does mean that Gentiles are acceptable or welcome to come to God on the same basis as Jews. In other words, both Jews and Gentiles can receive salvation equally. There's no partiality. There's no difference, no distinction between the two. And so God accepts Cornelius' desire to know more about him. Remember, he is a God-fearer. And so he sends Peter to Cornelius and his household to share the good news of Jesus with him. It's interesting, though. Cornelius is a good man. We saw that last Sunday. He's a man who feared God. He's a man who prayed to God always. He's a man who even gave up his money for the poor. These were good things, but these things could not save Cornelius from his sins. Only Jesus Christ can save us from our sins. And so Cornelius needed to hear the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting, even unbelievers, and I'm sure you live by some, perhaps you work by some, perhaps you have family or friends of unbelievers, and even unbeliever, unbelievers are capable of, quote, doing good and being good. I mean, they can, they can do good things. They can even be, in a sense, good citizens, good people. But this is not sufficient to save them. This is why we must let them hear the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. This is why God sent Peter to Cornelius. This is why the angel told Cornelius later on, in, as Peter recounts this story in Acts eleven fourteen, 14, that Peter, he will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. And the message that Peter declared was the good news about Jesus, which brings us to our second truth that Peter reminds us here. 
That salvation is centered on Jesus Christ alone. In verses 36 through 43, Peter tells Cornelius and his household the message by which they will be saved. And that message is centered on none other than Jesus Christ alone. Notice how Peter begins verse 36. He says, The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. Peter's reminding his hearers here that the message of salvation through Jesus Christ had originated with God and not humanity. God in His love and grace, He's the one who took the initiative in sending the message of salvation. In other words, God sent the message of salvation to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. And that phrase, preaching peace, implies then that there is a hostility, there is a separation between sinful humanity and a holy God. That's the implication. That's why peace was being preached. Because we are born in sin, and we choose to sin, and that sin causes a separation. We're hostile to God. We're in rebellion against God. And Jesus Christ is God's only means of salvation or reconciliation between us and God. It's only through Jesus Christ that we can experience now peace with God. And through peace with God, we can now experience peace with one another. Also notice Peter states that Jesus is Lord of all. This means that Jesus is not only Lord of the Jews, but He is also Lord of the Gentiles. And so Peter did not preach, this is interesting, one message for the Jews and then a whole different message for the Gentiles. No, no, no. You say, well, why is that? Because the way of salvation is exactly the same for both the Jews and for the Gentiles. The way of salvation is Jesus Christ alone who is Lord of all humanity. So what does this mean for us today now? What does this mean for us when it comes to us letting them hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, it means there's one message, folks. There is one message for all peoples in the world that we proclaim to them. It means like Peter, we proclaim the life, death, resurrection, and coming judgment of Jesus Christ. As we read that, the message that Peter told, we clearly see that there is really one main character in the story of redemption. And that is none other than Jesus. In fact, let's read it again. Notice it with me here, beginning in verse 37. Look what it says. Peter states, he declares, he shares, he tells, he's letting Cornelius hear that word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good in healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. 
But, but, notice this, him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was, was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Listen, folks, the message of Jesus is the history of a real life. And what Jesus did with that life is the heart of the gospel. Peter told it this way in verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. In other words, no man that has ever lived has ever did what Jesus did. His miracles, his power were signs of who he was as the Son of God. He was the Messiah, the anointed Son of God. But what really sets Jesus apart is this. He died by hanging on a tree, which is a reference to the cross. And he rose again three days later. In verse 39, Peter affirms that he himself, he was actually an eyewitness of the life and death of Jesus Christ. And furthermore, that he was a witness to the fact that in verse 39, that him, God raised up on the third day. And so Peter is reminding us here that the most important aspect of Jesus' life is his death on the cross and his empty tomb. You say, why is this so important? Because Jesus' death on the cross was God's means of making peace between himself and us as sinners. Without the cross of Christ, there is no salvation. Jesus paid the debt that we deserve. Jesus died in our place as our substitute. God took our sin and laid it on His Son on the cross. And with His resurrection, Jesus then conquered death. And now He lives to do what? To save sinners for which He died for. That's the good news of Jesus Christ, of the gospel. And so when you tell the story of Jesus, folks, let me encourage you, tell of his life and take people to the cross where Jesus died and to the grave where he rose again. Peter spoke of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection as facts of history. People need to understand the facts about Jesus, the truth about Jesus, who He is, what He did, before they can respond in repentance of sin and believe in Jesus. That's why we share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel at the heart, it includes, it encompasses the life of Christ and the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. But then, hold on, this is interesting. Then Peter gave the so what to the message of salvation. As miraculous as the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus was, here's the question. What does it matter to those who hear it? Why is that message so important? 
Why do I need to believe in that message? Why do I need to share the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, in verse 42, Peter said that after Jesus rose from the dead, see this for yourself, look at it. In verse 42, he commanded his disciples to go out and to preach about him and to give this testimony, that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Here's where the message of salvation in Jesus Christ, if I can say it this way, it leaps out of the first century right into our lives here in the 21st century. This truth, this reality about Jesus Christ is the why. It's the so what answer. Jesus Christ is the appointed judge of all humanity. Peter phrases it this way. He's the judge of both the living and the dead. That pretty much encompasses who? Yeah, everyone. Jesus is the one before whom every person will stand one day and with whom every person will have to reckon their life for eternity. And unless people realize that they are living in rebellion against the Lord of the universe and that they will one day stand before Him as guilty, then listen, they have no reason to repent of their sin and run to the cross for forgiveness of their sins. So when you share, when you proclaim, when you tell the message of the gospel, listen, we proclaim to those who hear us, listen, you can't ignore Jesus. He is alive, and He is the coming judge of all who live and die. But God loves you. Oh, how God loves you. And He has provided a way of salvation for you in His Son, Jesus Christ. And today, listen, today you can turn from your sins and you can believe in Jesus and He will save you. And so now when He comes, He doesn't come as in His wrath to condemn you in your sins because you are now covered by the, His righteousness. He comes to save you. Yes, there is bad news in the Gospel of Jesus Christ, is there not? Oh, you bet there is bad news in the gospel, especially for those who reject Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But there is great news. There is good news in the gospel for those who believe in Jesus Christ, which brings us to our third truth about salvation. Salvation, number three, is granted to whoever believes in Jesus' name. Peter reaches this sort of crescendo, this climax in his message in verse 43, when he says to him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. At its peak, the story of salvation lifts up Jesus and it holds out the great news that the very Lord who will judge has the ability to forgive the sins he would judge. 
in the story of salvation. We lift up Jesus and we, in other words, we say to people, man, look to Him. Turn to Him. Believe in Him. He will judge you, but He can save you before that judgment comes. As Peter proclaimed earlier in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And so there is salvation in one name, in one name only. But the good news is, whoever believes in Jesus Christ receives forgiveness of sins. Whoever believes in the name of Jesus will receive forgiveness of sins and they will be saved. Whoever includes all the peoples of the world. That phrase, whoever, let me tell you, it crashes through the barrier of race and nationality. Whoever believes in Jesus Christ receives forgiveness of all their sins and will be saved through His name. Paul tells us in Romans 10, verses 12 through 13, For there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Listen, the message that Peter proclaimed wasn't just for Cornelius, though. The gospel is for all peoples in the world. The need for everyone is the same, and the answer to the need is the same. Every one of us here, we all need to be forgiven from our sins, do we not? We all need to be reconciled to God. We all need the righteousness of Christ to cover us. We all need the sacrifice of Christ. The message we all need to hear then is that any of us who repents of our sins and turns to Jesus Christ, trusting in Him alone, will be saved from the punishment of our sins and made right with God for all eternity. That is the good news of the gospel. And this was the message of salvation that Peter proclaimed to Cornelius and his household. And they heard it and they believed it. In fact, it's interesting. It says while Peter was still speaking, while he's still speaking, he's still sharing the gospel about Jesus, it reached into the hearts of his hearers and they were saved. Just think about it. Before he even finished, Cornelius and his household believed in the truth about Jesus Christ, and they were immediately saved. Folks, that's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You say, well, what were the results? Oh, the results were magnificent. The results of their salvation, there was the gift of the Holy Spirit, and there was the response of baptism. The gospel worked. The gospel was powerful, and it worked. Cornelius and his household were given the gift of the Holy Spirit as evidence of what had happened in their hearts. Luke writes in verse 44, he says, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. You say, what word? The gospel. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. And those are the circumstances. Those are the, the uh, Jewish believers 
friends of Peter that had accompanied Peter to Cornelius' house. And they're in the room with Cornelius and his household. And so they're listening and they are seeing all this take place. And they are astonished as many as came with Peter because, why? Here's why they're astonished. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And so here's what's taken place. God's Spirit had come to live in Cornelius and his household at the moment of their salvation. And God wanted to make sure that it was obvious to Peter. He wanted to make sure that his Jewish friends didn't miss what was taking place. And so God gave these Gentiles then the gift of speaking in other languages as a supernatural sign that what took place was something that only God could do. These Jewish believers who had come along with Peter, they were astonished, they were perplexed, they were amazed that God's Spirit would be poured out on the Gentiles. But God was doing something big. God was doing something unique. God was opening the door of the Gospel to all peoples. And in this way, what occurred here was unique. It was a sign, as Paul would later write, that the middle wall of separation between the Jews and the Gentiles, that that wall was coming down. That wall was being demolished. So there was no more wall that separated and divided the Jews on one side and the Gentiles on the other. And that wall came crashing down at the cross of Jesus Christ. As shocked as these Jewish believers were to see these Gentiles saved, they couldn't argue with what had happened, though. They couldn't argue with it. And so Peter affirms what God has done, and he affirms that they are now brothers and sisters in Christ. And so Peter rhetorically asks in verse 47, Hey, can anyone forbid water? I'm like, what's he mean by water? Well, now he explains himself that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And so in verse 48, Peter commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And then they asked him, that is Cornelius and his household, they asked Peter to stay with him a few days. And so Cornelius and his household, they were baptized, and they asked Peter to stay a while in his house. And this is amazing, this is unbelievable. Peter stayed and he ate. And he fellowshiped with Gentiles. And he did so as a demonstration that God shows no partiality. The gospel is for all peoples. What we see here in Acts 10, folks, is truly amazing. The gospel's for all peoples regardless of ethnic identity. And if we will simply open our mouths and let them hear, we can expect the gospel to be powerful enough to save. Remember what Paul wrote in Romans 1, 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Every time I read that, that just pierces my heart. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I remind my own boys so many times, listen, do you have the courage to stand up for Jesus? Do you have the courage to proclaim the gospel? 
I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because what it has done for me in my life. The gospel has transformed me. The gospel has saved me. So I am not ashamed of it because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Through the gospel, God has the power to open eyes, to open ears, to open hearts to salvation. God also has the power to open doors where the gospel can be heard. And so when God opens doors, open your mouth and let them hear the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. God's offer of salvation is an open invitation to everyone. But there are two mistakes that I want to make sure everyone here avoids. The first mistake is this thinking you are too bad for salvation in Jesus Christ. Thinking that there's no way God could accept you because of what you have done either in the past or what you're even currently doing in the present. That you're just too bad for God's salvation. But Peter is clear. Everyone who believes in Jesus receives what? Forgiveness of sins. And so there is no sin that is beyond the forgiveness that God offers in Jesus Christ. No sin. Saul, remember Saul in Acts chapter 9? Saul's such a great example of God's amazing grace, is he not? Here's a guy, Saul, who persecuted Christians. He he murdered Christians. He wrecked havoc on the church in Jerusalem, entering every house and dragging off men and women and putting them in prison. He breathed, it says, Threats, murderous threats against the disciples. And yet God saved Paul from his horrible, terrible sins. And if God can save Saul, he can save you. Jesus has paid for all the sins in the world, past, present, and future. And so no one is too bad for God's salvation. Do you believe that? But the second mistake is thinking you are too good for salvation in Jesus Christ. And Cornelius here in Acts chapter 10 is a great example that even good people need salvation, right? Cornelius was a good man who feared God, gave to the poor and prayed always, and yet he still needed God's salvation in Jesus Christ. There's no doubt that if that had Cornelius rejected Peter's message of salvation, that day he would be facing the coming judgment of Jesus Christ. Now, perhaps, perhaps this morning you're a bit like Cornelius. You would consider, in fact, even other people, when they they speak of you, when they think of you, they consider you a good person. Perhaps even a, quote, God-fearer. But as in the case of Cornelius, a good life is not what will save you from the coming judgment of Jesus Christ. Only what God offers in Jesus' perfect life, death on the cross and resurrection, can save you from your sins. And so when Jesus comes as the judge of the living and the dead, only those who know Him as their Savior and Lord will be saved. So whether you think you're too bad 
or you think you're too good, please know, oh, please hear that the gospel is for all peoples and it's powerful enough to save all peoples. Even people who think they're too bad or too good for God's salvation. Think about this with me for a moment. Right here in the book of Acts, we have Saul's conversion to Christ in Acts chapter 9. And we have Cornelius' conversion to Christ in Acts chapter 10. And it's not by accident that God has placed these two salvations side by side. Saul, he claims to be the worst sinner in the whole world. Cornelius is a good man. And there are pictures for both of us side by side here in the middle of the book of Acts that the gospel is for all peoples. Whether you're on this end of the spectrum, too bad, or on this end, too good. Whether you're a Jew, like Saul, whether you're a Gentile, God's salvation encompasses the whole world. It's available to everyone. And so whether you're a Jew, whether you're too bad or too good, gospel is for you and it's powerful enough to save you. The question is, like Saul and like Cornelius, have you trusted Jesus Christ for your salvation? Is there a point in time in your life where you have repented of your sin and you cried out to God, Lord, save me. Forgive me. I want to follow you. If not, then whoever believes in Jesus will receive forgiveness of sins and will be saved. Is that not the greatest news in all the world? And this morning, listen, you can do that. In just a moment, we're going to have a response time. And our response time is the time when we respond. We respond to God and what we hear in His Word. And we respond right where we're seated, seated uh, you, right there. You can pray to God, you can cry out to Him, and you can ask Him to save you. You can plead for the forgiveness of sins and receive His forgiveness and receive the gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ. After our response time, we're going to conclude with communion. And while salvation is available for all peoples, listen, salvation is centered on one person and one person only, and that's Jesus Christ. And so as we come to the Lord's table, let us remember Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for our salvation. Let us remember that the bread represents His body broken for you and that the juice represents His blood shed for you. And let us remember what Paul writes in Ephesians 2, 11-13, where he says, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now... Paul says, now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away, you've been brought near. How? By the blood of Christ. 
For through Him, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of His household. That is made possible through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. That is what we are focusing on as we come and participate in communion. Give thanks for the gospel in Jesus Christ. With your heads bowed, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that your gospel is for all peoples. Regardless of ethnic identity, thank you that no one is beyond your saving grace. And that through the sacrifice of your Son, Jesus Christ, we can be saved from our sins. Father, give us the boldness, give us the courage to open our mouths and let them hear the good news of salvation. It's in His name we pray. Amen. The praise team's going to sing. And as your heads are still bowed, the music's going to continue to play. And, and after they sing a song here for our response time, and as the music plays, you as believers in Jesus Christ, you're invited to participate in communion. And perhaps you're here this morning, you're not yet a believer in Christ. Obviously, we invite you to receive Christ as your Savior during our response time. and You're then invited to watch as our church participates in communion. And what you're going to see is a picture, a beautiful, glorious picture of the work of Jesus when He died on the cross. As the, blood rep the juice represents His blood and the bread represents His body. And I pray that God will draw you to faith in Christ as a result of what you see here today. Will you respond?